hello and welcome to Please Don't Kick Me Out, a podcast about imposter syndrome. My name is Bianca Woolwick and I'm the host. I interview my friends and people that inspire me to figure out if they have the key to life and they feel successful or feel like they don't fit in like I do. Anyway, thank you for listening and I hope you enjoy the episode. All right, listeners, here's a bonus episode. Uh, I didn't think I would have to do this, but I think I really do. Um, I interviewed my friend and data scientist, Marianne Halloran, on April 15th of 2020, just one month into my quarantine and many Californians' quarantine. At the time of recording this, on July 3rd, 2020, today, the day before 4th of July, I have been in strict quarantine for 109 days, or 15 and a half weeks. And a lot has happened in that time. I lost my job. I started this podcast. I got diagnosed with adult ADHD. I had to put my dog down. I lost friendships. I started therapy. I found new hobbies, all while in strict quarantine. And now I might just be doing this as much as I am because my husband is in the military and I'm under that same restriction as a show of solidarity. But even if I wasn't, I'd still be okay to be doing this quarantine. I'm telling you that I was a social butterfly, an extrovert, and a person who loved social gatherings, people, bars, clubs, you name it, oons, oons, RuPaul's Drag Race, drag shows, I loved it all. And with tomorrow being the 4th of July and our second wave of COVID clearly either on its way or toot toot, it's here, I wanted to share this episode with my listeners because I think it's important. Marianne is amazing as a human, she's an amazing person as a data scientist, and she has been tracking COVID since November. And it's still here. So with tomorrow being the 4th of July and many people feeling disappointed and hashtag, but my freedoms and I don't want to wear a mask and all these things, I just thought if I'm using my platform for good, then I think an education into why we should still be concerned throughout the United States makes sense. So thank you for coming to my second episode, my second bonus episode of Please Don't Kick Me Out, a podcast about imposter syndrome. In this interview, you're going to hear Mari Ann talking about you know, being a data scientist and being foreign, she's from Brazil and all these things and how that plays into imposter syndrome. But also you're gonna hear her talk about things in April that she was thinking about coronavirus. So I really hope that you enjoy this episode. I hope it resonates with you. And after the interview, I'm gonna share her current tips, Mari's current tips for how you can live your life safely and how you can safely celebrate the 4th of July. And I know it sucks. And I know it sucks not seeing our family, our friends, all those things. And it sucks that we can't go to the bars and it sucks that we can't go to restaurants and everything's different statewide. But I will say that if we stay home, we can really, really stop the flow of this. So I hope you guys enjoy this episode and uh, like, subscribe, rate, and here we go. Hey, how's it going? Hi, good. Awesome. (laughs) Well, happy, I guess it's Wednesday today. (laughs) Yeah, it is. We made it. We have made it. The lovely voice you're hearing on the other end is my beautiful guest, Marianne Halloran. How are you doing today? Uh, I'm pretty good. It's it's been a few weeks, you know, with all that's going on. But other than that, it's, it's been pretty... 
I'm doing it well. I'm doing it well. Let's just say that. <laughs> well, I'm really excited to have this conversation. So um, I'm going to let you just kind of take it from here. Give your elevator pitch, your 30,000 foot overview, who you are, etc. Yeah. So uh, Mariani here, like Bianca said, um, I am a data scientist. My background is in bioengineering and electroengineering. I have a bachelor's and master's in electroengineering and a PhD in bioengineering. I am very passionate about data-driven decisions and understanding what's behind uh, the data that companies are generating and that's kind of my groove. Um, yeah, so that's me. And I love that. And I'm reading over your questionnaire before we hopped on the phone mm -hmm. to talk about it. I just, you know, wow, like you have an incredibly impressive background. Like you really just, I wish I had stuck in STEM because that would be, um, that would be kind of where I'm at. <laughs> <laughs> it's fun. Uh, it was definitely not, um, I was raised a, a nerdy kid, um, and all I was good at was math and physics and bio. So it was kind of like written in the stars for me. But it's 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 a good place to be at right now. Yeah, yeah. So there's much debate on how we met. We can't remember. We haven't <laughs> met physically. Uh, no. So Mari and I, we believe we matched on Bumble BFF, which uh, mm -hmm. for my listeners, if I, if I, you've probably heard me talk about it before, but it's um, the way that adult women make friends. <laughs> I guess. I mean, Basically. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's like the friendship portion of the dating app. Um, yeah. it's very weird. Um, it's even more so weird right now, like, because I'm still using it during COVID because oh why not? Right. Like, yeah, right. why not? But I mean, obviously I can't meet anyone. Um, and so I've just kind of, it's just, it's funny because people are like, Oh, it's so weird to meet on the internet. And I'm like, it's really not that weird, you know, but like, that's how I met my husband. So right. I same. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm not shy about that. Right. Yeah, for like career people like you and I, it's hard. Like you're busy, you have family, you have your husband, you have your hobbies, and you know you don't meet people these days. At least I feel like. so. Why not? If it works, I this could very work for a friendship. Right, exactly. But I think like you and I follow each other on Instagram, and then we just kind of follow each other for a while, and then um, I think more recently, uh, we've had we've come up in each other's feeds a lot more, like where I think I had gotten laid off and we were talking about that. So you kind of like put your eye out for jobs for me, which I really appreciated. And you're thinking about getting the Peloton. I have the Peloton. Right. Um, I'm not riding it as much as I should, but I need to. So that's my mental <laughs> note. So anyway, um, you know, the task at hand, the reason why I'm very excited to talk to you about it is, you know, with your STEM background and being in science and math and data, I mean, that has got to be tough as a woman. Um, and in reading your answers, it looks like there's a lot of the things I've considered and, and thought about uh, prior to our conversation are things that you felt, um, which I find, you know, interesting, but not surprising. Right. Um, so I guess we'll start with the first question, which is, do you feel like you have it all figured out? Um, no, you know, <laughs> and, um, I think there is also always a part of you that wants to say yes, that wants to, or, you know, want to get to the point where you're mm -hmm. able to say yes. Um, yeah. and for me that 
I have come to terms that that's probably not gonna happen um, because it's uh, there's that Dunningham effect. I forgot the whole name. I sh probably should know, but it's that thing where the more you know, the more you realize what you don't know. So um, I definitely do not have everything figured out, and I definitely am every day while I'm trying to learn more about myself, be more self-aware, and grow both personally and professionally. Yeah. That makes total sense. So then on that vein, do you feel like you fit in? Do you suffer from imposter syndrome? In what ways and what does imposter syndrome mean to you? Um, and as uh, I think one thing I put it on uh, that questionnaire, you know, like as a scientist, like I'm trying to be a skeptic and I'm trying, I'm trying to question myself. Um, and the thing is with imposter syndrome, I've always kind of had that going on i think even since high school um i was in a stem program like a stem only school you know we didn't have history or geography or classes like that they were optional um so basically we only had to do stem classes it, and it was one of those uh schools that you have to take an entrance exam and only like the people that score high in math get in so i always felt like oh i must have clicked the wrong answer and like clicked the right answer by accident and they just let me in <laughs> because i always thought everybody was so much smarter than i am and as i progressed through you know academia and um, especially being in electrical engineering, my school, I went to the University of Missouri, they were awesome. Um, but, you know, some things weren't that great, I'm not going to lie. Once Brina told me, like, hey, you um, take notes, you look like a secretary, and I'm going to tell <sighs> you that does not help. <laughs> when you're, like, questioning if you're smart enough to be there, you know, I, I was there on a scholarship, um, and it, it's just really it sucked and that go away on my master's that didn't go away on my phd i always question if i belong there if i'm good enough be there and um when is someone just gonna realize i'm just lazy and i have <laughs> not really made any contribution to the science like to science or any scientific field and they are just gonna expose me for like the fraud that i am <laughs> so and it's interesting because um when you brought up this topic like imposter syndrome um when i was at ucsd during my phd i actually founded the women in bioengineering uh, group that was like a support organization for other graduate students in the bioengineering mm -hmm. program and one first events that we had was actually a imposter syndrome job. and one of the things I realized then that this researcher talked about was that one women are more susceptible to being um, to suffering from imposter and of color people who have visible minority hmm. more susceptible because some of the layers of societal pressure um, on you that it just makes it more um, like more pronounced in those people mm -hmm. would say um so yeah um i did i answer your question i got so wrapped up in talking no that <laughs> does it does answer and that's interesting <laughs> I, I didn't really think about the minority aspect of it but when i you know you're from brazil you were born in you've lived in a couple of countries correct yeah i 
grew I was born in Brazil and I lived in France for a bit and I'm back to Brazil mm -hmm. and then I've been in the US for 13 years now. Right. So in kind of, you know, having that globe trotting kind of situation, right? Where you've lived in yeah. different countries and like that's gotta be tough. It's gotta play into it. Um, and then also like being in the United States and being foreign, you know, and, and having to like learn that system. I mean, you're adding this extra pressure on top of it. So, yeah. and then, and then choosing a male dominated field. Like I can only imagine now when you said like your professor said you look like a secretary, I laughed it, not because I find it funny, but because my dad's an engineer. And uh -huh. so I, I understand how the engineering brain works. My husband, um, my husband's in computers. So I, I, I'm very used to kind of that they say something that they truly like their brain is wired a different way and they didn't think right. about it. But of course, as women, we like take, we take that and we go, Oh God, <laughs> just right. And add it yeah. to like our shield of uh, shield of armor. Right. Yeah, definitely. And like, um, you know, I've, I've had comments here and there that class, um, my class, I was one in two women in a class of 40, mm -hmm. um, that professor, um, uh, about, five years after I left, he was um, sued for sexual harassment and um, other things. So I know he's, he said it, like I, I am used to being around engineers and people who are, you know, one, brutally honest, no time for bullshit, no time to like spare your feelings. They say right. it is, but I think, um, yeah, he was a, he was a piece of work. Uh, <laughs> So, you know, and I had uh, at UCSD, I had another experience, you know, I was uh, in bioengineering, so I was doing a lot of lab work and I had to walk around with my lab coat within the building, mm -hmm. in the elevator and one of these professors I thought was probably, you know, a very professor, like I would say 70 or 80, very respected professional in the department. And he looked at me, he said, oh, look at you, you're wearing a lab coat, you must be one of the smart ones. Um, ah. and I, oh gosh! And I, and I know he was. He interviewed me for the PhD program. He, um, he, I many one-on-one meetings with him. We knew each other. I think he just had like it was one of those things that you know people from that time period say because they think it's cute and endearing, but they don't really realize what's underneath that. Um, yeah, you're like, wait a second, I earned this. Excuse me. Yeah, exactly. I was like, well, I am actually one of the smart ones. Huh. <laughs> Don't you think? <laughs> so, you know, yeah, and, that, and that's just like one of the things with um, dealing with, you not only have to deal with your insecurity and the thought that you are like, is this research really what's going to take me? Is mm -hmm. this even good enough to make to my face? Mm -hmm. When I present, are people going to make me? Then you add on top like those snark comments and you start to realize how, you know, one advisor treats you slightly different than your male counterparts in your so it, it adds that layer uh, being in these uh, male-dominated fields, definitely. Um, but I honestly kind of like to think that I'm used to it because even my high school, it was because it was a STEM high school, it was mostly guys. And I, my, all my best friends from my high school were guys. You know, I was one and I probably 
walked around with a group of like five, six guys. So mm -hmm. I, I, I've been used to having that kind of report. And I think that's one of the problems. I have a hard time making friendship with women. And I know that sucks. And that's like people say there's a lot of quotes going on Instagram about women like that. But I was like, it's just not the way I work. It's not the way my brain works. Um, so sometimes it is from that aspect as well. Yeah, I, I can relate to you on that too. I mean, I've always, I've got a very loud personality. I tell people, I mean, it's, you haven't met yeah. me in person, but <laughs> it's very obvious that I'm just very loud. Um, right. And so, so that doesn't really lend well to the feminist narrative of, or the feminine narrative of like prim and proper and Right. popping out the kids and that kind of stuff when I oh. probably don't want children and don't really, you know, so it's, so I'm constantly in this ebb and flow, but I, I get around or I get along very well with my male counterparts, which is why I felt mm -hmm. like I did so well at my last position. Cause it was mostly male salespeople. Oh, um, gotcha. and you know, get, being laid off is never, it's never fun, but I, I totally like the last position I had was the first one that I actually felt respected. Uh, and I think as women, we go through our career kind of career or academia or whatever that might be feeling um, constantly judged because it's yes. no matter where you're going, even if it's a female dominated industry, marketing is, is, is it's, it's half and half. Um, you'll still find that I, I still find that, um, you know, I've had some pretty sexist, horrible bosses. Um, and I was reading ahead and it, and it sounds like you had a pretty tough boss um, in your first job. Um, yeah. So um, so that, that, that definitely what you said definitely resonates with me. Um, going from academia to industry was rough for me. I, I struggled during my first, uh, my first year of my job. Um, I would come home crying some days because I was so, as an academic, there is a very clear metric of when you're succeeding, when you're failing. It's your grades, you know, it's your evolve from your advisor, you're constantly getting feedback on your research. So for me to go from that to a place where um, there was so much vagueness and so much mm -hmm. putting a different kind of out that is put in your head, that is communicated, at least in that specific workplace and it's not true of where I am right now and I'm very thankful for that mm -hmm. but you know we were things said like well you're not asking the questions in my head and things like that and um it really made it hard for me to grow and achieve and I was so sure I was failing every day mm -hmm. um even when my boss would say no you actually you're doing okay I was like well, okay, it's not for me, I do okay. You know, I want to do great. I want to be proud of the work I'm doing and I'm not. Um, right. I felt like constantly uh, judged and um, the questions that were asked of me weren't questions because out of curiosity, out of wanting to know more, what, out of wanting to debate a topic, were always questions that were meant to gauge how much I knew so I felt constantly like questioned about my um my intellect my know-how everything and so I went from that situation and when I decided to leave I was like you know what I know what I know um I'm really fucking good at what I do 
Mm -hmm. So I'm going to go for a place that's looking for someone like me. And so I decided, one, I decided to not stay. I was doing um, more like marketing-ish kind of data approaches and sales gear data approaches. And I decided, you know what, my background is in electrical engineering. My background is in bio. I need to find a place where I can leverage that expertise. Mm -hmm. um, so my current job, um, I went there and when they were interviewing the my now manager, he said like, we're looking for someone who is a data scientist that has a bio background and, and, and has an electrical engineering background. And I was like, well, that's me. Uh, you know, and the one thing I really appreciate where I am now is that one, I communicate really well with my boss. And I think going through such a hard year really helped me as weird as that sounds, like learn about myself and learn that, you know, I don't have to put up with shit. I don't have to put up with being undermined or questioned. I have a voice and I can speak on it. And I have like authority to speak on the subject because I am, you know, trained on the subject. Um, and that really like changed my mindset. Um, I still question like sometimes when I'm, especially when I'm giving like talks at work, I'm always like, oh, someone is going to ask me something and it's going to, they're going to know that I'm not bad. <laughs> but um, I'm very appreciative because my boss, like my current boss and my, all my direct supervisors, they're very good about giving you compliment and then supporting you where you feel you are not that great. Mm -hmm. um, and I think to me made a whole difference in how I saw myself and how I dealt with that imposter syndrome. You know? Yeah. Yeah, I kind of, I mean, in hearing that, I mean, you were obviously, you know, in school for quite quite a while, you know, doing bachelor's, master's, and then yeah. doctorate. So you're, you're kind of joining the workforce at a different point um, yeah. with all of your knowledge and your know-how. And so for me, like, I never got that opportunity to uh, just walk away from something when it sucked. Um, oh, yeah. But my first boss, similar to yours, was just not very helpful and mm -hmm. I didn't really learn a whole lot of stuff. He was also uh, sexually harassing me regularly, oh. which was no. at the time I was 22. So I really didn't know any better. Um, mm -hmm. And he was constantly concerned about his perception and how I was making him look in terms of, uh, you know, I was young and I was just starting out and like the agency had taken a chance on me and like undoubtedly so had he, but I felt like I just felt kind of cheated by my first position not working out. And I've kind of had this winding road to get to where I'm at. And I'm, I'm now at a point where I am very confident in who I am and my abilities and I, and I don't back down. I have my voice and I'm sticking to it. But it took me eight years to get to that point, right? So I didn't feel like I had the voice or the balls, so to speak, you know, the, the cones to just like stand up and, stand up for myself and say, no, this is not right. And I find that in all, pretty much everywhere I've worked, I've had just like bosses. I've had some great bosses over the years, but overall I've had some real shitty ones. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they say that like, you know, those who can't teach and those who can't teach, teach gym. But also, <laughs> you know, like I just, I think like, a lot of people are put in management positions where they never really earned it, never yeah. really earned it. Shouldn't be managing anyone. Should mm -hmm. probably have someone managing them. 
Right. And I've just kind of worked for all these like companies that are just like Mickey Mouse, like they were mm-hmm. a startup and now they're not. And so anyway, so I, I, I identify a lot in that and I'm happy that you found a position that actually respects you and, you know, takes your word for what it is because, uh, you know, everyone should have that at least once in their career. And if I had answered my own question a year ago, I probably would have said, you know, it's hopeless out there. No one's ever given me a chance to let me shine. And as much as it sucks that I no longer work at Lawyers Title San Diego because COVID, um, mm-hmm. it's okay because I had that for a year. I had utmost respect for a full year. No, that's uh, it's and it's great to have that experience because you know now what to look for mm-hmm. and hopefully how to get that again, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's one thing I know for sure. I'll never go back to where I was. Mm-hmm. Um, just because of how it made me feel. And one thing is, um, it's absolutely, like you said, when I went to interview for this new job, I had a job. I didn't have to switch. You know, I I was doing, oh, I wasn't happy, but I could stay there for as long as I wanted to. Um, so it really, I think having that mindset, I was like, I think to lose. So it really allowed me to like think like, okay, I, this is what I want. This is what I'm looking for. This is how I feel about the people I want to work with. And then also how to really express myself in a way that's Mm -hmm. truthful to me. Because um, I also felt that my first job, they were like taking a chance on me because, you know, I was fresh out of grad school and never had had a job as a data scientist. So, you know, oh, you know, they're being so kind to me. And when I switched, I was like, actually, you know what? No, they're not being kind. Mm-hmm. You know, they're paying me and I'm doing a service. You know, they're not doing me a favor. Neither am I doing a favor to them. Um, and I think having that, having that, that, and it's, it's such a privileged position to be on a place mm-hmm. where you're like, you know, actually I can just be myself. And if they don't like it, screw them. And if they like it, great, you know, but this is me, like, take it or leave it, you know? Um, <laughs> And I, I think that really um, helped me find a place where I fit. Cause I, you know, I'm loud. Like you said, like I'm a loud person. I'm always the loudest in the room. I am Brazilian. So I talk with my whole body and my <laughs> arms. So the <laughs> waiters are never safe around me. Cause like right now I have my arms like outstretched, you know, and I'm standing up like just like waving in the air. Um, <laughs> I appreciate that because podcasts are in audio medium for your ears so we've all yeah. visualized this <laughs> so if you can imagine that that's what I'm doing right now so it's and when I went to interview that's they had me do a talk presentation and that's exactly what I did you know I stood up I was actually barefoot because I presented shoes I took out my shoes and I was like wavy and I would go and I ask them questions and like be like because I am like that like very interactive and things like that so you know, and they loved it. They were like, well, you know, she's completely comfortable with, you know, who she is and what she's presenting and her topic. And it just made them believe that I was so comfortable with my topic. That Oh, yeah. Well, that's great. No, I like that. I like that. We need more of those and less of the 
oh, well, I, uh, I, I got really scared to tell them that I was a military spouse, so I didn't. Right. Like, I need more people being like, I took my shoes off and, <laughs> and I burned my bra and yeah. they hired me anyway. Right, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. <I'm> like, <laughs> I always tell to my boss, I was like, I cursed and I cursed a lot. And I was like, oh, you'll never see me curse with like a VP or a CEO in the room, but between you and I, day to day, I'm gonna drop some F-bombs and that's just it. Like, that's how I talk. And he's like, actually, I appreciate that because I know you're being honest and you're not like hiding behind like niceties and right. you know? So yeah, it, it, I, it does come with time. I'm very grateful that my time was kind of short, but I feel much better now. It's not, you know, yeah. it's not a thing of the past. It and then, very yeah. Much. And so uh-huh. you you went to therapy to kind of, bridge your gap of, of, you know, finally becoming whole, so to speak on, on your, uh, confidence on, on your abilities. Right. Uh, sorry. Can you repeat that? So, that so, um, <laughs> and you, you, you told me that you'd gone to therapy to kind of bridge the gap of between, you know, coming whole basically and, and recognizing your smarts. Right. Yes. So, and that's, I actually had written a little thing um, aside from the questionnaire. And that's the thing, like if someone were to ask me what was the first step that you did to like get over or like not get over, but start, you know, working Mm -hmm. with your imposter syndrome, I would say therapy was like the best thing I could have done. Um, And I did it throughout, graduate school with you know modest success mostly because I I had a lot of panic attacks during that Mm -hmm. (laughs) um yeah I started doing therapy because I really wanted to one understand what was driving my emotions and understand what was the little voice inside of me saying that would would be driving those thoughts and it has been life-changing I've been you know regularly meeting with my therapist for about like a year and a half now and Mm -hmm. it's is definitely something like you don't have to have you know a huge history of trauma you don't have to have like some deep-seated problems it's just helpful to have someone that can bounce off your ideas and help you understand yourself you know how yeah. you that understanding yeah i think that's such a great point and something that i haven't heard any of my guests so far actually bring up and i'm pot calling the kettle black because i probably need therapy <laughs> in fact I, I in fact i know i do and i i um I, I always say if my if this podcast can change one life, then it's doing its job. So if any of our listeners out there are really struggling with this topic in the workforce, at their own self-confidence, um, I, I'm going to piggyback off that and say I believe that therapy is the right choice. And it's, yeah, you definitely reading that made me kind of, um, uh, it made me kind of think through like, oh yeah, I probably need to go do that for myself. <laughs> Yeah, and um, it's, there's such a stigma still, you know, around therapy sometimes, Uh, but there are so many different areas of my life that have been touched uh, by it, and I never thought I would be going, I I didn't go to therapy for my work or how my confidence was at work, it was just, I was like, you know what, like, I, there's something I'm questioning and imposter syndrome doesn't only mean your work or you know in school if you have imposter syndrome in academia or 
a workplace, but it can also be imposter syndrome on your relationships. Mm -hmm. You know, people that feel anxiety on their relationships or feel that at any moment people are going to leave them or, you know, have that anxiety. Um, that's also imposter syndrome, it's saying you're not worthy, you're not good enough, and people are going to find out and, you know, leave you and things like that. And that's all part of that same mindset that is behind the professional like imposter syndrome that we are more familiar with listening about um so to me it was really amazing once like i sat down and i was thinking i was like oh you know oh shit like all of this you mm -hmm. know is under the same umbrella and the other thing that really helped me is like surrounding myself with the right people mm -hmm. um you know, it's like we talked before, it's so hard to find friendships. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we are so keen on having like a squad, you know, or a gourd or whatever that we, <laughs> <laughs> um, that's a, a MFM joke. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, that we don't really pick quality, you know, and um, we pick quantity or we pick just whatever is there at that moment. And you really need people that are on, on your team that are rooting for you, not just there for the moment. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, I've, I think like in my later 20s, I really started to actually take that advice for myself. Once I met my husband and like that clicked in place, I realized like, okay, like, I don't like I I'm closer now with my friends in Denver I left on a really good note when we moved here um, mm -hmm. but I'm finding that I have I'm, I'm finding that I'm trying to be I'm very I'm very extroverted so I really like people and I mm -hmm. love having acquaintances and a network and all of that I love that but um, I find that it's harder for me to it's harder to find really that core group kind of that we you just kind of mentioned but i'm learning in in my 30s i'm learning that it's okay to not have what everyone else has because on the outside it might look like these people have this great friend squad and oh my god they're doing a zoom birthday call and like this and that and i'm realizing who my real friends are in quarantine like i throw a happy hour last night i threw a happy hour on zoom <laughs> did tiki tuesdays <laughs> That's awesome. And I have two core friends that come to every single happy hour. They think the sun shines out my ass. I love them. <laughs> They're amazing. They're Jillian and Kara. And they and and then I've got another friend, Shelby. She'll come to them too. And these are friends that like have never met each other. And then like my friends from college popped in. And then I had like old coworkers. And then all of a sudden it was like my friend from college's husband's family. And I ended oh, up man. hopping off the chat at like 9 p.m. and went to bed. And my friend Jillian <laughs> stayed on the chat with all of these, Jillian is black, and she stayed on the chat <laughs> with all of these people from Texas, like Hicksville, USA, uh. Texas, and had the time of her life. And she was like, this was so great. We have to do it again. And I was like, I don't know, man. I just like, I supplied the Zoom and y'all just went crazy. <laughs> right. And that's fine. And, and, and that's, and I guess like, I'm just trying to, I'm trying to be okay with the fact that I, like my husband's my best friend. My, and mm -hmm. I have, I have a few really, really close friends. I have one, best, I have a best friend, like an actual best friend. And she, um, she moved back to Portland and I love her to death. She's like my sister. Mm -hmm. um, and I have, and I'm trying to tell myself that that is okay. And that is enough. 
But right. when you're an extrovert, you're just like, I just want to collect <laughs> people, people yeah. <laughs> and I can't see anyone right now. So, right. so I, I totally get that. Yeah. Surrounding yourself with the right people. That's, that's something I've been learning uh, a lot more recently. Um, yeah. So yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. Yeah, and for me, I've like I'm sure you're familiar with that, but you you live in different places. Mm -hmm. Like I I lived in Brazil, and then I moved here, and I lived in Missouri, I lived in Illinois, I lived in Tennessee, I lived, and now I'm in San Diego. So it's just you leave people so many, you make so many deep connections through time, and they just fade and it's this grieving that you feel sometimes you know you actually grieve for the friendship loss because it feels like that you know the distance yeah. and time goes by and it feels like a loss and one of the things I've, I've started to learn and that's also like my amazing therapist she always tells me you know like sometimes people are in your life for a season and they did what they needed to do in your life and you did what you needed to do in their life and that's it and you know and it, seasons pass and go and maybe sometime there'll be another season of them in your life maybe not you know but um and some of them stay throughout many seasons um yeah and having the the right people in your life also means like professionally you know finding a mentor finding someone that you can you know talk to and who can give you professional advice and there are so many great networks um, out there for that too, you know, having people on your side, personally, on your personal life, on your friendship side, and, you know, professional life can be so powerful. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess like, let's segue into um, the feeling of success, right? right. So um, do you, like, what does success look like, like to you and do you feel successful? Um, I do feel successful for more reasons than one um i'm very and i said that um i think you saw in the questionnaire but i'm very happy with my current job i'm very happy with the path my career is taking i have a very clear direction of what i want and what my three-year plan and my five-year plan will be corona allowing um and um and all of that so um, but overall, I just feel successful because I have been given so many um, challenges to overcome um, over the last, let's say, 15 years. You know, I was this girl in Brazil that thought she was dumb, that went to this public school and, you know, all my friends went to private schools, but I went to this, like, stand public school and I got into college and I got a scholarship to come to the U.S. and that just ballooned into a master's program and a PhD program that was all scholarship. I have zero that wow. throughout my whole education because one scholarship kept getting renewed and renewed and took me through 13 to 12 years of education in the U.S., you know. Um, so all of those things and I'm very proud of the person I am. Um, I'm very proud of, um, you know, of how I treat people, of how I see myself in the world, of my impact in the world. I'm very proud of my family. And to me, like having all of that, you know, I'm very content. And to me, contentment is always a good place to be. I don't have to be like over the moon all the time. As long as everything is good. And, you know, even if we have problems, you can keep moving forward. Right. Um, that's where 
Um, that's where I, I'm like, you know what? I did it. I have an amazing husband. I finished my PhD that I was planning since I was 12 years old. Yeah. I have a career that I love. You know, everything else that comes after that is just bonus for me. Oh, I love that answer. And I, <laughs> yeah, that was like when I was reading through all of this, the questionnaires, I always read them right beforehand. But I was like, man, I was like, she's done some cool stuff. <laughs> so, yeah, I, yeah go, oh, go, ahead. go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, so one of the, the things I'm like the most happy about is like what brought me to the U.S., wasn't my academics. I was actually awarded the scholarship because of philanthropic work in Brazil, but wow. it was my academics that took me through it. So, um, you know, like someone saw me in the middle of Brazil working with like kids and they were like, you know what, you're helping people, let me help you. And someone offered me a hand up. And then ever since my thing in life has been like, finish your studies so you can be in a position where you know, you can help people, you can be the hand that's uh, pulling people up. Um, yeah, so, um, yeah, that's why I, I, I don't even know what I'm talking about, but that's the successful stuff, I think. Yeah, I love that. That's, <laughs> that's awesome. And, and uh, we were kind of chatting before we put, pressed record on this, but um, we're, we're kind of talking about like, you know, I'm in a fortunate position right now not, to not have to work if I don't want to, which is very hard for me because I'm a hustler, I'm a driver, I'm a person that likes to work. Um, but one of the things and some of the things that are more appealing to me right now are more philanthropic than they are monetary. So I'm kind of trying to figure out what's next. Um, and I sit on a board of directors for a, uh, like a, it's like an organization that helps fund the youth housing project for the LGBT center called the Sunburst Youth Housing Project. It's called Mariah. The acronym doesn't make sense for what it is, but <laughs> regardless, I, I sit on that board of directors and there was a question of like, oh, well, you got laid off. So like, do you still want to even do this? And it's like, yeah, I was doing this anyway. Why would I, why would I walk away um, when I believe in it? So so I think there's a level of, of that. And then I, I, I keep saying it and I, I'm going to say it till I'm blue in the face, but there's a level of, if you're not coming out of COVID and quarantine and all of this uh, more creative, more generous, more kind, more empathetic and more loving, then I don't want you in my life. Right. No, and you know, what I love, I saw it when you posted that and I was like, that is awesome because uh, in many ways, that's how I feel. If anything, this crisis has really helped me see people in a different light right. for better or worse, you know, um, and it's, uh, it's a filtering time. I'll tell you that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it's, I'll tell you about it offline of what really prompted that. But I was like, okay, like we can't be this angry, <laughs> but, but yeah. So I think we've touched on the imposter syndrome. Now we can move on to my favorite part of the conversation where we just talk about the things we love, the things we hate. So yeah. what is one thing you're fanatical about and why? And I'm going to start. Um, currently I am fanatical about, the recipe I just made that you sent me. <laughs> Did you so, like it? <laughs> Mari has this recipe for, I don't, she, I, I mean, it was incredible. I didn't have all of the ingredients. It's, it's a truffle macaroni and cheese with shrimp. Yeah. Yes. 
And uh, I ended up making it <laughs> and uh, I, I stumbled through it. I realized I didn't have all of the cheeses it needed. And I was like, well, I'm gonna keep going. So I made it, it's great. Uh, I have so much leftover. I might've used a little bit too much truffle oil, but whatever. No such thing. There's no such thing. And um, it was really delicious. So delicious, in fact, that I, prob- I will probably put the recipe in the description of the podcast. <laughs> awesome. Uh, yeah, oh man, I, mac and cheese is like my most absolutely favorite food. It was one of the first things I had when I came to the U.S. other than steak and steak. And, and I, I have grown obsessed with it. Mm-hmm. And I've grown obsessed with truffle oil. So I put it on everything. And <laughs> <laughs> what's wrong with shrimp nothing so I add that too um yeah but the thing I'm fanatic about um uh it's um trail killers and I know that's weird and that's okay I'm okay I'm weird uh mostly because like it's understanding how people tick and what makes them tick and you know when you're a data scientist and you look at all the data points often we are told to ignore the outliers and we are often told that these data points you know mm-hmm. don't contribute to your data set but when you look at them they're some of the most meaningful and most informative pieces of data you can have um and to me like serial killers are that they're just so out there and they can be so common but they can also be so different you know mm-hmm. it's so bizarre and understanding what the psychology is behind that mm-hmm. to me is just fascinating so that's what yeah. I do on my spare time <laughs> <laughs> well and that's why you and I connect so well because uh you've mentioned MFM which is my favorite murder which which might be how we met or we can't really at this point we don't know but I uh, I have a saying it's fresh air is for dead people which is from the podcast morbid uh but I every night do my window and my door check and I'm oh, yeah. you know, making sure that, you know, no one can get in and my cameras are all working. And, you know, I know the likelihood of someone murdering me is quite low, but still, I mean, <laughs> I'm, I, I'm fascinated by it as well. And for me, what the catalyst was, was I took a psychology class in high school and she had us do a project on serial killers and mm. Uh, John Wayne Gacy Jr. I don't know what oh. about it, but that man no. fascinated me. <laughs> He's, oh, it was so creepy to me that I was like, what yeah. the fuck? <laughs> yeah, and like um, my mom, I, I'm an avid reader. I read three books a month um, and I've been doing that consistently for the last like seven years. And so my mom, and I've always been like that. So when I was young, like 10 years old, 11 years old, um, my mom would always bring books home and it got to a point where she couldn't find books in the library anymore um, for the my age range. So she was like, you know what? I'm gonna buy an encyclopedia and that's what you do. You're gonna read the encyclopedia cover to cover. So mm-hmm. my first encyclopedia cover to cover was Britannica. Mm-hmm. Gotta love it. And so after that, I got bored and I found one of her. My mom is in, um, she's a professor at the medical school at my state university in Brazil. So she had all sorts of encyclopedias. She also loves books. And one of them was psychology encyclopedia. And I 
that's when I first like my first understanding of oh there are people who just kill for fun oh okay you know or kill for need or whatever the case may be and my mom is also a murderino and she would watch horror movies and you know <laughs> the creepy movies with me as a kid and not really care about that's not really PG-13 and she's 12 so <laughs> um yeah so you know kind of became me and I hid it for a while and then my finally like a few years I was like you know what I like this it's weird and I don't care <laughs> yeah absolutely it's uh it's so interesting um how kind of people who are true crime obsessed um how we kind of came to be we're, I mean we're all weirdos um but I don't find like I find that true crime there's two there's two pools of true crime people and I apologize in advance if this offends anyone but there's two types of true crime fans right there's the ones that are terrified to leave their house constant state of panic and then there's you and me who see the world for what it is are morbidly intrigued by it right (laughs) modify our lives in a way that ensures we won't be stabby mcstabbed while we're sleeping right that would be very weird, but we're street smart. So we're cautious and, and stuff. So I find I get along better with people like you in the true crime community and my best friend, Marcy, and my friend Meg, who works uh, with dead people who I'm interviewing soon. I find that I get along better with the people that are like, yeah, that's really, you know, effed up, but I'm going to lock my windows and my doors. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's creepy. Will I go to a museum about it? Maybe, maybe not. Yeah. But yeah, I'll close my door. My husband always makes fun of me because um, if I watch like a horror movie, even if it's like a haunting movie, haunting movies scare me more than like based on real life stuff. Um, because I'm definitely afraid of ghosts. I- wow, really? <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm pretty sure, like, theory, I don't know. It's just. I yeah, um don't do well with ghost stuff, especially ghost movies. It's weird. Of all the things to be afraid of, that's what like scares me. Um so like I don't watch Wait, but could you watch Ghost? Could you watch Ghost with Patrick Swayze? Um, yeah, so because that's like romantic key, right? I think more like I think haunting. so. I've I've like seen bits and pe- I I got I, okay. I'm just gonna at right. myself. Bianca, you have to watch Ghost. Okay. Got it. <laughs> oh yeah. My aunt my aunt was a is obsessed with it and we came out she watched it seven times in the theaters no oh, that's so funny <laughs> uh, so so i guess we could move on to because okay. i'm just i was just thinking about i was just thinking about when you were saying about true crime and stuff so unpopular opinions um what were a few that you have and why and i'm actually going to tell one of mine so i okay. love true crime but i hate being scared i hate horror uh-huh. And I like horror movies. No, thank you. People jumping out of me in a corn maze. No, thank you. Not scary farm. No, thank you. So, <laughs> <Haunted> mansion <laughs> no. still, still scares me. <laughs> well, I have a very strict rule that I only watch horror movies if I'm by myself. Um, I do not like uh, watching it with people because I don't trust people that much and I don't want them to get ideas from movies. <laughs> um, but, um, oh <laughs> I, I use, okay, so when I was in college, like between like 19 and like say like 24, I was obsessed with um, B rated 
like the B type horror movies. They're really crappily produced. But to me, that was funny. I hate rom com, and that's on my trash mm-hmm. list. Do not ask me to watch anything where they, oh, you know, oh, she runs out of town and she's so, she broke her heart in the city and she goes to the small town <laughs> and there is this gruff farmhand and, you know, oh, and then they had an apple pie and it's raining and they are falling in love. Oh my gosh, I cannot, I hate it so much. <laughs> I will, and the thing is, like, I will talk if I don't like the movie. I'll talk through the whole movie, and I'll be like, "What well, is stupid?" Da, da, da. So it's it's not enjoyable for anyone. Let's just say that. <laughs> yeah, but my other trash is peanut butter. I didn't grow up with it, people. What's wrong with you? It's nasty. It's salty. I don't understand. I know butter itself. It's supposed to be nutty taste. I don't get it. Um, the only, I say, I know I said, oh, nut butters are trash. I'll step back and say hazelnut. Oh, yeah. Hazelnut's the superior. <laughs> I mean, it's like chocolate, right? Because it's yeah. Nutella. So <laughs> I've heard that quite a few times from people that were not born in the States. Um, similar to kind of how the Australians have Vegemite and we're like, good God, why, why are you eating salty yeast? they can't understand peanut butter so I've actually heard that I agree with it because I don't keep peanut butter in my house I have no Mm -hmm. reason to keep it I don't (laughs) I don't I'm not a sweets person so I'm not often you're not going to see me go ham on a jelly peanut butter jelly sandwich like that just never I've never once had a craving for like that (laughs) and I my mom like would make it for lunch every single day uh and like all like all through school to high school like college she would make it for me and I think she just assumed I liked it oh yeah (laughs) I don't I'm not I'm not a huge yeah so I agree with you there and I I have nothing bad to say on that and then the rom-com thing's just funny I would watch one with you just so you would talk through it yeah, I <laughs> I was I keep telling I, I don't know that but there's like a mystery science two thousand or something like that where it's just people talking over a movie. Oh my gosh, we need to do it where I just torture <laughs> you with rom coms. Right. And then and then and then it's just us but like with the giant wine chalices. There so it's like the, the silhouette of us. <laughs> <laughs> I'm that fun game. Because that's like exactly if you can imagine me watching a rom com movie, that's exactly it. Yeah. I'm just like arms up in the air calling bullshit every five seconds <laughs> but <laughs> um yeah and then my last one is sorbet like i honestly don't understand it's just fruit just frozen what's from if i want an ice cream treat or an ice treat i'm gonna go full fat people full fat yeah i love to cook i'm an avid baker i cook you know i'm i have a whole my my husband uses my instagram as a menu um, card kind of thing. He goes like, make this kind of thing. And no, I will not eat sorbet. I will give me the thing with cream. That will make me fat. You know, yeah. I want that. So, so my dad fat. has a saying. My dad, I love, I love my dad. He's, he's a funny dude. But in the '90s, there was all of that low fat craze and all of that. I don't know if it, it was right. similar in, in Brazil and France, oh, yeah. but. Probably not France, because they're like, whatever, we'll eat the cheese. Um, My butter. Full butter. (laughs) And I'm going to eat an apple for dinner. (laughs) And um, so my dad has a saying that, like, life is not worth living without the fat. So my dad, (laughs) like, my mom would go, like, get, like, this light or get that. And my dad would just buy the full fat thing, because he was like, whatever. Like, we're all going to die. You can't take it with you. Like, might as well have the full fat. So I've kind of 
leaned into that. And then I did keto for a while. Oh, and yeah. so I, unfortunately the carbs are back, <laughs> but like the, the, the full heavy cream and cooking with heavy cream thing never went away. Right. Yeah. I always have heavy cream on hand. I always, I have a fridge full of butter. Like I, <laughs> I know that like, I'm probably going to stop my heart or something, but I can't help it because life is, life is too short to not enjoy what you're fucking eating. And if I'm going to have ice cream, similar to your point, I, I don't want sorbet. Like I, I well, the option were, if the option's <laughs> sherbet or nothing, I'll eat nothing. Right. Yeah. I, I don't understand. Um, to me, like anything that gives you the most bold, like uncensored flavor, that's what you should go for. It yeah. Sorbet or sorbet, or however you say it. I don't even know how to say it because I don't care about it that much. <laughs> really, like, screw this. Get out of here. <laughs> Who invited you? You're not allowed here. It's not part of that. Not part of my life. So, right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so what, I mean, I know that quarantine's crazy for everyone, but what is currently making you happy in the world? Um, so in that quarantine aspect, um, I'm a hardcore science defender and enthusiast, and um, there's no, nothing better than looking at the, all the COVID data sets. I'm sorry, I know it's horrible, but it's so fascinating and so interesting and heartbreaking at all at the same time. Um, and one thing that has made me happy is that I think in some aspects, people are understanding the value of science. Um, there, there has been, um, in some parts of the world, in some parts of the country, this push towards anti-intellectualism that has really hampered science progress because we get defunded left and right. Um, so I have seen in a lot of people, you know, a lot of, um, a lot of my friends that I haven't talked to in 10, 15 years, mm -hmm. even friends from third grade, you know, fifth grade are emailing me or texting me or Instagramming me, asking me questions, you know, about this and that. Um, and they've always known I was in science. We've kept, I kept in contact with most of my like fifth grade friends, um, mm -hmm. but they're genuinely curious about how we as scientists are looking at that data and what's driving what we are saying about that. I work in the respiratory pathogen field, so um, that has just been part of my day-to-day -day since this, since November actually when this started. Um, so it, it has really made me happy to see people embrace that in this dark time, even though it's a dark data set and a dark subject overall, you know, seeing the, the curiosity mm -hmm. and the genuine interest really has made me happy. That's awesome. Yeah, no, I, I think it's really uh, great that people are, you know, finally being like, oh, science, we need that, <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> but I also, you know, it's been very interesting. So uh, for my listeners, I mean, you, she's putting together these reports every single day. She's watching the bell curve. And uh, I knew something was wrong when she just would not stop talking about it. <laughs> so I, I would say a lot of my wokeness to the situation and being well-versed um, comes from kind of keeping an eye on what you're saying and what you're doing. Oh. <laughs> so I, if you, I'm going to link her Instagram in here so that you guys can follow along. But 
um, definitely, um, you know, she's on the front lines of the data and she sees how it changes every single day. So yeah. it's definitely interesting. Yeah, it's, thank you. Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, and, you know, like you said, it's good to know, even if you help one person understand that's, you know, already half of the battle right there. So mm -hmm. I'm really glad that you helped um, you to understand more about it. That's awesome. Yeah. So do you have something that you would like to promote? Um, yeah, so um, I know a lot of people are stuck at home and some of them have things to do, some of them don't. If you are interested in STEM and you want to learn how to code, I definitely recommend Women Who Code is a nonprofit that's near and dear to my heart. I volunteer with them and during the um, COVID lockdown, they're doing actually um, remote workshops to teach people women and minorities um how to code they're very welcoming a very um lgbtqia friendly um so all are welcome and if you just want to add a new you know tools up to your to your belt you know they are great for it that's awesome i really appreciate that shout out and i will actually link that into the description as well and i think the more we can do the better um that helps everyone out and you know makes the planet a greater place and especially if any of my listeners are looking for something to be doing right now um you know to go back to that topic of if you're not coming out of covid uh more creative or with a new skill or hobby um this is a perfect uh opportunity for the women listeners i uh, that listen so yeah. awesome well we've come to the end my friend mm -hmm. and i think it's been a really insightful conversation i really enjoyed getting to know you and your background and i hope that the people listening um anyone who you know is was not born in america but then moved here might feel a little less alone in listening um but i'll link your information in the description and mm -hmm. yeah do you have yeah, any parting words so yeah. yeah thank you Thank you so much for having me. I, I know I talk a lot, <laughs> so I appreciate you putting up with that. Uh, it's been awesome. Thank you for the opportunity. Oh, awesome. Well, thank you so much, and we'll talk soon. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. So I asked Mari, who you just heard speak on Please Don't Kick Me Out, a podcast about imposter syndrome. I asked Mari... What do you want people to know right now? What do you want them to know about COVID, coronavirus? How can we stop the flow? And she said, one thing I think it's important to highlight is the increase of number of cases is not concerning. What is concerning right now is the increase in the percent of positive tests of all those tested. How many come back positive? We were around 3% in May and have since more than doubled consistently at 7% this past week. That's bad. The only things we can do are simple and effective. Wear a mask when around non-household members. Keep at least six feet apart when interacting with non-household members, even if you're outdoors, and stay home as much as possible. And also, you know, hand sanitizer, wash your hands, don't touch your face, those things all apply as well. What really prompted me to release this episode today was that my husband and I went to uh, pick up some essential items, uh, groceries, and when we went, I found that no one was social distancing, nor were the store we were at really enforcing it. And it gave me a lot of anxiety. And quite frankly, it made me very frustrated. It is not hard to stay six feet from someone. It is not hard to stay out of someone's bubble. 
and it's equally not hard to just follow the rules. So I hope this episode is helpful. I hope this episode was insightful. I hope it encourages you to be careful this weekend. But remember, we're all doing this together. It sucks. Worldwide, it sucks. It's a pandemic for everyone. And maybe take yourself out of the situation real quick and remember that everyone's going through this. Everyone's going through it in a different way. And you're not unique in feeling like it sucks. 2020 is a pause. It's a pause for many different things. And all we can do right now is follow the rules and hope that our part in flattening the curve continues to help. So I hope you guys enjoyed this episode and thank you all for listening. And I will see you on Monday with a brand new episode of Please Don't Kick Me Out. has been Please Don't Kick Me Out, a podcast about imposter syndrome. If you like what you hear, please subscribe, like, comment, share, tell a friend. You know, that's how I'm going to keep these stories going. Also, if you want to be a podcast guest, you can reach out to me at pdkmopodcast at gmail.com and we can get it set up. Thanks everyone for your continued support. And I look forward to, you know, connecting with you again next Monday.